As I lay in the back of Buck's truck, trying to will my limbs out of entropy, wiggle your big toe. Before satisfaction would be mine, first things first, wiggle your big toe. Hard part's over. Now, let's get these other piggies wiggling. The Tainted Glove presents Yumper and Svo at the Show podcast with Tom Yumper Garcia. Oh, what a big man you are. Hey, let me buy you a pack of gum. I'll show you how to chew it. And Justin Svo Svoboda. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Two guys from Chicago talking movies. Welcome, everyone, to Yupper and Swole, episode 18, uh, presented to you by Italian Glove. I'm one of your co-hosts, Tom Garcia, a.k.a. Yumper, and I'm with my other co-host, Justin Swole Sabora. How you doing, Mr. Swole? I'm good, Yup. How about you, buddy? I'm good, man. I'm good. Just ready to get this off and rolling. I know. Let's get, let's get to it, man. Let's dive right in. Yep. Let's go into our usual segment of what you were watching. Um, so this week, I had the privilege of going to the theater twice. Um, once I went with my wife and we saw Call Jane, which is a movie that's based on a true story about women that have to learn to perform abortions for other women um, in Hyde Park in Chicago in the 60s and 70s. It's actually a very powerful and moving movie. Um, Elizabeth Banks is in it, along with Sigourney Weaver. And uh, something that threw me for a loop at the end I didn't realize was um, Janice Soprano, uh, what is her name, Ada Totoro, plays a nun in this movie. And she is the one that helps, like, learn to per- like learn to help perform these abortions to help women safely get the healthcare that they needed. Uh, very powerful movie. I-, I highly recommend it. I think it was very, very well done. Um, some of the scenes are a little hard to watch, um, but overall, pretty good movie. The other movie I wrote an article about, and I spoke to it with you and with our guest on tonight's episode, uh, but Black Adam and how pleasantly I su- how pleasantly surprised I was with black Adam and how much I enjoyed it. And honestly, without giving anything away, I think this movie can absolutely save the DC universe. I really, really enjoyed it. It was loud. It was obnoxious. It was comedic, but not overly comedic like Thor love and thunder. Uh, I really, really enjoyed black Adam and I can't wait to own it and see it again. How about you? Yump? Yeah. Black Adam's a movie. I've been kind of thinking about going to see it. Just haven't had time. But eventually I'll get around to it. You and Fids gave it raving reviews. And like from everybody I heard about um, that's watched it said it's a pretty good DC movie. Um, me, I went to an old reliable. Uh, I went with The Usual Suspects. It's one of my favorite movies. And for some reason, I really want to keep watching it just to see why Roger Ebert hated it so much. Uh, even though Kevin Spacey is a piece of crap, uh, I still love this movie in terms of Chaz Palminteri's role alone. Uh, Benicio del Toro, Stephen Baldwin. This is probably his best acting role in any movie, and it gave you Gabriel Bryan. Uh, I love the twists and turns of any movies. I'm a big sucker for that. Uh, as you can tell, when you get uh, 31 Days of Horror, I did a lot of twists and turns with the movies I picked in terms of how their storyline goes. Um, but this movie, I think, is like one of the best in terms of that, and I really enjoy it. Uh, and on top of that, I actually went back and watched a movie that Fids recommended which is Psycho Gorman, and it's a total uh, Power Rangers for adults. 
like total it's totally out there it's about these kids who resurrect a alien that was basically um alien overlord that was put into a crystal because he was killing everybody and you have these other aliens that are to protect the universe that come to try to get him when they find out he's free and they just do like a badass fight tons of gore but it's actually a really pretty entertaining movie um, I highly recommend you to watch that one, Swell. I think you will enjoy it. And it's one of the few movies that me and Fitz actually agree on that he recommends. So it's funny that you say that because during the week that I knew this was coming out, it was on sale. I was walking through Best Buy. I was meeting up with a friend. I was walking through Best Buy, and it was like $7.99 on Blu-ray. I don't buy physical media anymore. Uh, but I, one, usually when it goes on sale, physical media, it also goes on sale digitally. It was $6.99 on iTunes, and I bought it. Um, and I am not with you guys at all on this one. I, 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 I'm not knocking it. It's for you. It is not for me. I tried, um, I, and I get the appeal. It's just, it's not, it's not something that I... I'm guessing uh, the girl, the girl, the girl uh, kind of uh, wore you down from it, huh? Yeah, it was, it was just a little, you know, and then, the, you know, yeah. it, it just wasn't for me. I tried. I promise you I tried. I just couldn't do it. Yeah, she uh, she's very hard to get used to, but I just look past that and look at the uh, whole fighting thing, and I'm a sucker for monster movies. I love that they brought back like actual visual effects, not just CGI stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So that was that was a cool aspect of it. Yeah, like um, when when he like suspended that guy and tortured him, and she knocked him over. And he was like, that was my finest work of art. And like he shattered. Like I thought that was really, really well done. Uh, but it just, it wasn't for me. Yeah, it's not for everybody. Uh, the visual effects is a big thing. Like I said, the director, I said in the 31 Days of Horror I did for it, the director actually and his team designed a lot of the, the monsters in the movie. And they're all practically done. So it's either somebody in a suit or they have, uh, you know, um, they built a uh, actual puppet for it, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, was, but I, no, go ahead. I, I get it. And I get the appeal to this movie, especially, especially someone like you that loves horror movies and visual effects. Like I absolutely get it. I just, I could not get into it. Um, I did see another one that I forgot to tell you to throw up there, but I can talk about a little bit. Um, me, so I am a huge Stephen King fan. Um, my brother is a huge Stephen King fan. He, like I said, he reads, he's read every book by King and everything. Um, I actually was listening to, Dr. Sleep, the audiobook. Um, I didn't have time to read it, so I would listen to it when I worked out or whatever for when I weight weight loss. Um, excellent book. I highly recommend you read it or listen to it. Um, the one I listened to was actually done by Will Patton, who plays uh he's from Remember the Titans and he also is in Halloween. He's in Halloween movies. Ends and Halloween Kills. You're like yeah. two of our favorites. Yeah, he's in those horrible Halloween movies. Um, but his voice is very soothing and he does a great job in the audiobook. But me and Jenna actually watched the movie and the movie is a totally different than the actual book in terms of the way the story goes. The movie's more tailored towards the Kubrick version. And it's actually done very well. And I like both aspects. I prefer the book a little bit more because of the story, but the movie's actually really good. And I, I would you know, encourage you to actually watch it if you've seen the Kubrick Shining. It's a nice little um, cap off to that, those two series. This one follows Danny Torrance as an adult. And it's a it's a nice it's, it's a crazy story, but it's very interesting. See, I love the I love The Shining. I love Stanley Kubrick. So, um, if this is a continuation, you know, the other person that like highly recommends this movie 
Um, I don't know how familiar you are with like Alkaline Trio and Blink-182, but Matt Skiba is a horror nerd. And he mm-hmm. always talks about how much he loves Dr. Sleep. So um, I think I, I should probably check it out. I'm not sure why I did yeah. it. Yeah, and it's uh, pretty crazy because um, without giving too much away, uh, Ian McGregor plays Danny Torrance. And uh, if you remember The Shining, Jack Torrance, uh, it was an alcoholic, struggling alcoholic. And in this movie, Danny is as well. And at the time, Ian McGregor was actually a recovering alcoholic. So he took this role, you know, with a lot of passion and a lot, a lot of, you know, personal input into it, which is kind of crazy. Uh, it's not, it's nicely done. Uh, there's throwbacks to the original Shining um, that I don't want to spoil for you that are totally worth it. Like just little things that you'll like. Uh, Jen enjoyed it a lot. It's very, it's like a two hour, two and a half hours long, but it's a quick two and a half hours long. Like you're really engaged throughout the whole movie to see what's happening. And that's something that's very kind of rare, especially with horror movies, in my opinion. I love it. Maybe that'll be on my list next week. Yes, sir. But uh, with that, let's get to our uh, our weekly segment of In Defense Of. Can you uh, introduce our de- guest? Absolutely. So um, it is my pleasure to introduce our guest. Um, our guest is my oldest nephew, Brian. Um, and Brian's going to be joining us from the campus um, uh, Florida Gulf Coast in Fort Myers, Florida. And we're going to um, talk about a movie that he loves. How you doing, Brian? I'm good. How are you? Good, man. Thanks for coming on tonight. You're welcome. Um, so I know you love this movie, and I'm not sure why, but before we get into it, um, I want to ask you a couple questions. And these are questions that we ask uh, like every single one of our guests. All right. What movie do you put on when you're feeling sick or when you're down? Is there a movie that you put on or that movie that you watch? Ooh. Um, I would probably have to say just Batman Begins. Batman Begins. Okay. Yeah. Any, any particular reason why? That, yep, he's my nephew, guys. Yump is laughing because he's my nephew. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's just a great movie. Um, I can rewatch it and it never gets old. So okay. Um, what? Uh, like I know you grew up in Florida. What movie theater did you go to growing up? Like, what was the local theater that you always went to with, you know, your your mom and your dad and and Allison? Yeah, we would always just used to go to the AMC by the big mall. And at the time, there wasn't many people living in our area. So everybody was there when the big movie came out. Yeah. So that was pretty fun to go there. Uh, you know, everyone in the area went there and it was pretty fun. So I remember that the most. Okay. Um, now, do you remember the first time that your parents dropped you off to go just hang out with friends at the movies or you got to hang out on your own? Um. Not really. I mean, it really didn't start till we did that. They didn't really drop us off that much, really. Because if we were going to see the movie, we would go see it together. And then at, but by the time I was able to drive, we would just drive. To the movie you would just drive? Together. Yeah. Okay. Now, you and I have um, a pretty pretty good relationship, and a lot of it is based on sports. You know, even though we don't always agree on baseball stuff, like, we, 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 we both love sports. and We love all the four major sports. But we have a, we have a pretty good movie relationship, too. Um, you know, this last summer when we were on vacation and everybody went to bed, I had the honor of like, um, like I had the honor of showing you some movies that are kind of a rite of passage. Um, can you talk about those movies just real quickly? Oh yeah. So we watched the whole entire American pie trilogy or the first three movies, the first three movies of the American pie franchise. And I always wanted to see them, but you know, my mom, she never wanted me to see them. 
So we finally watched them, and those were so funny. I was dying the whole entire, <laughs> whole entire time. It makes me happy to hear you say that. It also makes me happy that like I can be the uncle that shows you the cool shit that you weren't supposed to see with your parents. Yeah, I do remember. I do remember a Christmas when you and Al came up, um, and when I refer to Al, I mean uh, Brian's older sister Allison. And um, I think you. Were, I don't know if you were old enough to drive yet, but we we watched Superbad in the living room. Yeah, and um, your mom was not too happy about <laughs> that. But I I love that I can share those moments with you. Now. Brian, this segment is called In Defense Of, and it is where you defend a movie that you love, even though people might not people not might necessarily get why you love it. Um, why do you love the movie Cars 2? All right, that's a great question. So I'm, the way I, I see how this movie is, is that the, all the reasons that the people hate this movie are the reasons why I love it. So a lot of people say that it has nothing to do with the first movie whatsoever. It's not really even a sequel, but that's why I love it. And other people say it has nothing to do with racing at all. That's why I love it. It is about these cars and this like secret spy movie and this all this cool technology and this corporate undercover plot about oil and all that. And it has nothing to do with the rest of the cars franchise at all. But I love it so much because it's super cool. Like, how can you not like cars and machine guns in the side of them shooting at other cars and machine guns inside of them? It really, it can't. You can't go wrong with that. Honestly, I love that. Do you remember how old you are when you first saw this movie? Oh man! Well, I remember the original Cars is one of my favorite movies of all time, right behind um, The Incredibles. But I was probably like uh, eight, nine when I first saw this movie, and I've always loved it. I've really, always, yeah. Okay. Why should people check this movie out um, if they are not a fan of the original Cars movie? Because. Uh, if you're not a fan of the original Cars movie, then so- there's something wrong with you in the first spot. But um, <laughs> if you don't like the first one, this movie totally is nothing like it. <laughs> this movie is nothing like the first one whatsoever. It is that's that's the beauty in it. It is so different, and that's why I love it so much. All right, fair enough. I I, I can see that. Now let me ask you this, and then I'm going to let you go because I know you want to watch Monday Night Football, and I know that you probably had a long day at class, right? Very good. Um, no, I, I just want to ask you this. How would you rank your top five favorite Pixar movies? Okay, so, oh man, that's tough. Number one is The Incredibles by far. That's probably my number one most watched movie of all time. Um, number two, I'm going to go, I'll go Cars, the original Cars. Number three, give me Cars 2. Number four, I'm going to take Wally. And then okay. mm, number five. That's really tough. Ooh. I can't even think of any right now. All right. Um, so we'll go with your top four. Now, where does four. where does planes fit in to this franchise? I'm gonna be completely honest. I have never seen planes before. <laughs> I've seen planes a lot. Really? Yeah. Yes. Uh, I used to work at a juvenile jail and it was one of the approved movies that the juveniles got to watch, and they watched the shit out of planes. <laughs> Yeah, I never got into that because you really can't go wrong with cars. I mean, I don't know. Planes <laughs> just kind of seem like a, like a to the side. No one really cared about it. I don't know. That's just now. Me. Now you're uh, you're showing your age a little bit there, uh, Brian, because uh, you failed to mention Toy Story. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I know people love those movies, but the first two, especially, like you can just tell how old they are, and I I know that some people find something inside in that. But for me, they're just not for me. What about Up? 
I like up too, but it's just a little too basic for me. I don't know. It's kind of weird. I cannot get your aunt to watch up at all <laughs> because your aunt is very much like your mother where she thinks about her grandpa and that she will not watch it. Yeah. So I think up is like an upper echelon Pixar movie. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. I cannot get your aunt to watch it. Now, can I ask you this? And this is going to be my last question. How do you feel about Encanto? Okay. Don't even get me started on this movie. This movie, I it was so hyped up. Like when people when this movie came out, it was during uh, during COVID, so everyone's hyped up. This new Disney movie's coming out and there was so much hype around it. I all I heard on TikTok for the next 3 days was that one song about Bruno and it was so annoying. So I finally went to go went to go watch it. I'm like, why is this? Why are people saying this is good? Don't get me started on that movie. Though. You officially become my favorite guest. Wow! Wow! I cannot stand that movie. <laughs> Jumper, oh. Jumper hates that movie. It was not what I was like <laughs> hoping for. And I've given it like several chances, and I can't. And that Bruno song sucked. No, and yeah, I just thought there would be way more cooler songs, and I just really didn't like the story that much. I thought, yeah, I don't know. Well, Brian, thanks for coming on and um, defending Cars 2. I personally have never seen Cars 2. I, I did enjoy the first Cars, so I will I will give this a whirl. Um, do you – is it cool if I give out your um, Twitter handle so our Twitter handles can follow you, our Twitter followers can follow you? Yeah, for um, sure. You could follow my handsome freshman – college freshman nephew at um, at Urbaniac underscore Brian. That's Brian with a R-Y, not an I-A. Um, I give him shit for that all the time. Maybe not him, but I give him his I give his mom shit for that. So Brian, thanks for joining us, buddy. Yeah. Uh, thanks, thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. I love you. I'll talk to you later, buddy. Bye. Bye. Man, wow. Cars too. Cars too. He's passionate about cars too, and he did not like Encanto. Yeah. Uh I'm not a huge fan of cars too. Uh I've seen it as having a six year old. I've seen it a lot. I can imagine. I think Larry the Cable Guy is good in small doses, and he's like a really like big part of this movie. So it's it's just a little too much of him. But well, my nephew loves it, so yeah. <laughs> I knew this was a movie he was passionate about, and I, I know it's like been a running joke how much he loves this movie. So I'm happy he got to come on and defend it. And then honestly, take your side in the Encanto argument. <laughs> that was the best part of that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really very excited. Um. But uh, Swole, let's move on to our Twitter question. You want to tell everybody what it was? Yeah. So um, our Twitter question from last week actually elicited a lot of responses. Um, so our question was, do you have cool memories of going to the video store? What was your local spot? Mine was Lion Video on Bartlett Road in Streamwood. My dad would take me and mock my movie choice, but still take me. They had a pizza place next door, but he was a pizza snob, so he always had to make two stops. Uh, he never was into the pizza joint that was next door to the video store, so we always had to do multiple things. But the video store had a massive selection, and we loved it. Um, before I read some of these other questions, Yump, what was your local video store? So uh, my video store was actually uh, Masterpiece Video, and it was on uh, 47th Street right off. Uh, it's right across the street from the McDonald's, so a little bit past um, Damon, a little bit before Damon. I can't think of the street completely off the top of my head right now, but um, we used to go. My dad's friend actually owned it. My dad played uh, softball with a guy. His name was uh, Jaime, and he used to teach at my school too. He actually became a teacher. It's kind of funny. But um, we, me, and my brother would go there every Friday, 
and uh, we would go and rent a movie. That was our thing, either a horror movie or what. We would rent, you know, Ch- when Child's Play 2 came out, I remember he, he held a copy of it behind the desk so we can get it. And it was one of those places where um, I vividly remember you go in and they would, instead of having the movies behind to pull out, they would have chips by the movie box. A token, right? Yeah. yeah. And you would take that up and they would give it to you. Uh, they also had games and they also had a uh, pornographic section that was covered with a big sheet. You had to call walk it, into Yeah, but you don't have to call it porno. You could call it, we call it Russian politics. <laughs> That's our, that was our code name. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, it was um, just awesome going there. Like we spent so much time in there. I ran so much, I like everything from wrestling to horror movies to comedies, you know, that was our spot to go to. And the one of the things that sticks out about it, walking up to it, they had a bunch of murals. They were huge fans of Mortal Kombat and Goro was outside when you, when you walked in. So he would greet you. Uh, it was a cool spot to go to. Just, you know, when you brought up this question, it was an excellent question because it just, you know, a bunch of memories just rushed back into my mind. I, I think, I think this is absolute like game changer in terms of this, like, like people like our age and older have the, these vivid memories. Like one of mine was, um, and I'll get to the Twitter answers in here in a second, but like one of mine was like the first movie that my, my dad rented when he bought a VCR was the Twilight Zone movie. And I don't know if you remember the segment with John Lithgow with the monster on the plane, on the wing of the plane. Yep. That shit still freaks me out to this day. And my dad thought it was hilarious that it scared me that bad. He still <laughs> does. He still thinks it's hilarious. He's like, shut up. Like, um, so yeah, I, I love that people have these memories. Now, some of the, some of the people that responded are a lot of our regulars. Um, and they always come through with the heat when they're, when they're answering the questions, like, um, like Shankster, uh, local one was called Tidal Wave video was there when I was a kid and worked there in high school. Um, Adam Casey was, said, uh, when I was a senior in high school, my buddy turned 18 and we drove to every video store in the greater Chicago suburb area to find midget porn or Russian politics. After our 16th stop, we found one called The Micro Slut, starring Gidget the Midget. All right. And we've all been there. Um, Burly Cat, King Nam, uh, Rainbow Video and Calumet City as a kid, Blockbuster as a teen. Always loved going with my parents to pick out the weekend movies. Uh, and then his better half, Queen Nam, uh, Pockets, Video Circle in Lansing. It had the Forbidden Room, and I always tried sneaking in to see what was in there. Uh, it was Russian political movies, Amy. Russian political movies. Of course, um, Amy was first. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Father Sean, I had a place down the hill from my parents' house called Mr. Movies. Had 49-cent movies and games on Monday, so in the summer we would hit that up. It worked perfectly because my parents were teachers. So perfect time in the summer. Uh, Cherizi, we had a place called Take 3 Video right by our place. Movies and video game rentals. Me and... Uh, Mr. Delicious 13, a.k.a. Beef Loaf, went in there when we were like 10 years old with one of our friends. And he just sprinted right into the Russian politics section and got dragged out by the guy that worked there. <laughs> Shane Spagnolia. Um, I had a little mod pasta store by me in Chicago Heights, and I would always try to sneak into the Russian po- politics room. LOL. This seems like um, a recurring theme here. Yeah. Mokina Video was clutch for every single wrestling pay-per-view ever made. Also had a sick low budget horror section. I can't imagine finding Jesus Christ Vampire Hunter at Blockbuster. <laughs> I'm sure it was on the shelf next to Velasa Pastor. Yeah, um, there was like a lot of those horrible movies there too. Just, absolutely. Man, some of these responses are some of these responses are brilliant. Everyone remembers going, whether it was on your own to pick out a movie or a game. 
because your parents were like, go rent a movie, leave me alone, or going with your parents because they had to be there to sign out for the movie or whatever. Um, what I remember the most about video stores, and I think this ties into like our, our episode last week with Halloween 4 and 5, were how dope the cover art was for some of these movies. Like, I was jacked to see Halloween 4 and Halloween 5, and the artwork for those boxes were fantastic. Now, the movies were pieces of shit, but the box cover art was fantastic, and it was like that for so many of these horror movies in the 80s and early 90s. Uh, just brilliant stuff that we don't get anymore. How do you yeah. feel about that? Young? No, totally agree. And, you know, one of those movies that kind of duped me out for that was, uh, like, just going back to Psycho Gorman, how I, I told you I love monster characters, was the movie called The Giver. It had Mark Hamill in it. Yep, and it was an alien movie. It was it's a horrible movie, but it has like monsters on the front. It has JJ from um, Good Times in there, <laughs> like he's a bad wasn't guy. It, wasn't it based on like something that came from Japan? Yeah, it, yeah. It's, I think it's based off a. I don't know if it's a comic or a manga. Yeah, maybe a manga. I don't know. All I know is that I watched that movie and I would run it just because it was like. But I remember seeing it with the cover, and that's something you know that. Kids these days or the younger generation, it really isn't gonna experience because everything's so digital. And I know you like digital stuff, but just the fact of like going to the movies when just the show in general, the theater was like a, a experience looking for the times on the uh in the newspaper or having to call a number. No, and it, going to the rental store is just like another experience. It's just and you're absolutely right. And the only reason that I everything is digital for me is purely convenience, right? Like mm -hmm. also, like the the reason that I went to digital was my wife and I were in a bedroom and a half condo in Edgewater and we didn't have all this space. Now I can have a whole wall dedicated to my physical media if I wanted to. Um, no, no, it's totally understandable. But I'm just saying in general, as far as, uh, you know, it's just an experience that people of uh, the younger generation aren't going to experience. And you're, you're absolutely 100% spot on. Like they're, they're not going to know what it's like to walk in and see that artwork or like wait for your dad to get home with the paper to look up movie times for the weekend. Um, but I think that's why like the theater is so important that that experience doesn't go away because it's not yeah. just about the movie that you're seeing. It's about meeting up with friends and buying popcorn and it's a whole thing. And this is just, this just takes you down a rabbit hole about that. So I love that we, we talked about this and um, we're not going to let that go away. Support your local movie theater is the, the point of this. So that experience doesn't go away guys. Definitely, definitely. Um, also, just another. I'm gonna my. I'm gonna from my my soapbox. When you go to the movie theater, I know a lot of people like to brag. Oh, I sneak in my own snacks. That is how movie theaters make money: the popcorn and the drinks. Buy popcorn, buy drinks, buy your candy there because they make pennies on the dollar for the movie ticket. Definitely, yeah. Um, and there's nothing better than movie theater popcorn, no matter how old it is. You're not wrong. But with that, well, let's uh, let's move on to our main event, as they say. Uh, so you and me are both big fans of Quentin Tarantino and uh, his dialogue, especially. Um, he is known as the king of dialogue in some circles. Uh, probably one of the best directors in our generation, and probably one of the best script writers, you know, ever. And that's saying a lot, considering there are a lot of uh, great ones out there. Um, are you ready to dive into some of his movies? I'm absolutely ready to dive in. All right, my man, let's go into our first one. If I know what kind of guy you were, I never would have agreed to work with you. 
Are you gonna bark all day, little doggy? Or are you gonna bite? What was that? I'm sorry, I didn't catch it. Would you repeat it? Are you gonna bark all day, little doggy? Or are you gonna bite? Reservoir Dogs, released in 1992, starring Harvey Keitel, Tim Roth, Chris Penn, Steve Buscemi, Lawrence Tierney, and Michael Madsen. Uh, this movie had a budget of a million and a half dollars and a box office of 2.9. So, well, tell me about Reservoir Dogs. So, Reservoir Dogs was actually not the first Quentin Tarantino movie I've seen. Um, I, I've seen them all out of order, and I was introduced to him, and then I went back and watched this. But we talk about dialogue. We talk about things that he's good at and this movie showcases every single thing that that he's good at uh the dialogue in the diner before the heist happens um sorry if you haven't seen it yet but if you haven't seen reservoir dogs go fuck yourself like um what's that it's 30 years old (laughs) right um but the dialogue in the diner when um when quentin tarantino and you know he's reading his own dialogue talking about how like a virgin is a metaphor for big dicks and um uh joe is going through his little black book and then um harvey Keitel steals the little black book and he goes i got madonna's big dick in one ear and i got god knows whatever coming out of the other ear toby 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 wong fucking charlie chan right like to me like his dialogue is absolutely unmatched his casting it's fantastic. Um, there was, you know, rumors of uh, of a Vincent Vega and a Vic Vega movie for years, um, but his casting is absolutely unmatched. Tim Roth should have been a bigger star than what he was, and he still had a, a pretty damn decent career. Um, my favorite line in the whole movie, and I'll ask you what yours is in a second, was when Tim Roth is telling this story about um, the heroin or the drug bust, and someone's knocking on his door or whatever, and he goes, "Motherfucker." I'm trying to watch the Lost Boys, right? Um, <laughs> it's just fucking perfect dialogue, and and I love this movie. The soundtrack is good. the The DJ that's emceeing, like um, the the scenes in the car with uh, K Billy Super Sounds of the '70s. I I just absolutely love Reservoir Dogs, and the like the the bar just gets higher and higher with every movie that comes out that he does. Yeah, uh, totally agree with you. Uh, this movie actually was the first I saw of Quentin Tarantino. Uh, my cousin actually ran this movie from Masterpiece Video uh, and was watching it, my older cousin, and I happened to walk, walk in at him watching it. And I saw it was actually during the part where um, Mr. Blonde's dancing and cuts the guy's ear off. <laughs> but uh, Stuck in the middle with you. Yes, uh, I will never not think of have seen when hearing that song. It's a very well-written, uh, very, like, Great shots of cinematography. I mean, even little parts that you miss, like when they're uh, when they first bring Orange into the warehouse and he's outside. And if you actually look in the background, Tarantino had a visual set up to where there's a pink jar of salt and a white jar of salt together, and then around all the way across from it is an orange jar to show that they're like just little things like that is pretty crazy how he said this is his first movie he directed and yeah. He- actually going to do it. I think he had twenty-five dollars or $35,000. $30,000 he had to actually go and make this movie by himself. He was going to do it with his friend when luckily for him, his friend's wife was actually in an acting class 
who knew some connections and they sent the script to Harvey Keitel who called and asked if he not only could he star in a movie, but could he produce it? And that actually got the funding just having him back it, which is crazy because it's so it's nicely written. It's like, this is where Tarantino's trademarks are coming to look in from the trunk, looking up. Um, there's well, a lot the, of things that are good for it. The walk to the trunk to, to get the, the gasoline, I think it yeah, was. And the cutoff of the music when he walks through, oh. even, even the opening credits, like we use that for a tank love thing of them walking out to little green bag. Yeah. That's just like, it's iconic in that way. Them all dressed in the, uh, the suits. Um, my favorite part of the movie is when they're going over the names <laughs> and Mr. Pink is very upset that he doesn't get a name. If uh, I can't, he be Mr. Purple. And I, Lawrence, got, I got five guys fighting over who wants to be Mr. Black. Yeah, you can't be Mr. Purple. There's another guy in another job named Mr. Purple. And just doing research on this movie, Lawrence Tierney, who plays um, Joe, was he's an old-time actor. He's long past. He was like known for being a menace, not just in the film industry, but he was a criminal. And which is kind of funny because Eddie Bunker's in there too. And if anybody knows who Eddie Bunker is, Eddie Bunker was actually a criminal who changed around his life. Um, but he, everybody was so irritated with him because he kept freaking his lines. Like there was a scene actually that showed Mr. Blue's death that they couldn't include in the film because they had to do so many retakes of Lawrence Tierney's lines to the point where Quentin Tarantino fired him after three days. No, I it, the, like there was a in 1994 Roger Ebert used to release um, a book like Roger Ebert's book of film. And it was basically like, um, like a, an encyclopedia of all his reviews. And I remember him talking about Tarantino's next movie and comparing Tarantino to Kevin Smith, because also Kevin Smith came out with clerks that same year that Pulp Fiction came out. Um, and he said, Quentin Tarantino worked in a video store and then went out and directed a movie. Uh, Kevin Smith worked in a video store and then went out and directed a movie about working in a video store. Right. And they're, paths or their careers and their career trajectories all started off the same way like clerks and then ball rats and ball rats and then chasing amy and dogma but quentin tarantino's has just gone reservoir dogs pulp fiction you know and like quentin tarantino has no no misses he does not miss not a single movie in this filmography has missed i think it's too uh it's kind of interesting you say that about them too, because they both are under the Weinstein's Miramax yeah. and um, Miramax for Tarantino eventually. And then the Weinstein company. Yeah. Totally two different genres. I think Kevin Smith more played towards his comedy um, and Tarantino is more of a serious artist artist in terms of the way he wants his film shot, little things he throws in. I mean, he does have comedy in it, um, but both are very good. And like you said, like this list we're about to go through, there are no misses in it. There's not a single miss. Uh, I saw it was very interesting just doing research for this movie. You know, Wes Craven didn't like this movie. And Quentin Tarantino confronted him and said, um, I can't believe the guy who directed The Last House on the Left walked out of Reservoir Dogs. And Wes Craven responded, Last House on the Left was about the evils and, viol- and, evils and horrors of violence. Did that mean to glorify it? This movie does. <laughs> so uh, that's the first person that Tarantino didn't get along with there. And um, it was interesting that this is actually the shortest movie in, this, in his filmography. Of Quentin yeah. Tarantino. Everything else gets longer. 
And Matt Damon was considered for the role of Mr. Blonde. And seeing Michael Madsen perform it, I don't think anybody else could have done it. No, I don't even want to think about what it would have been like with Matt Damon. And give, you know, just before we move on, give a little bit more roses to Steve Buscemi because Mr. Pink was supposed to be played by Quentin Tarantino and Steve Buscemi blew him out of the water with his role of doing it. And like Steve Buscemi, for everything that we might know him as a character actor from Billy Madison and, you know, he does, uh, but he's... He's an excellent actor. My first introduction to Steve Buscemi was was Fargo. Yeah, I remember and, him with Billy Madison. That's like I first saw him. And like, like I've I've been obsessed with Steve Buscemi ever since. The one person that I would like to give like their props to on this movie is uh, Chris Penn. Chris nice Penn guy. was fantastic. A nice guy Eddie in this movie. Um, and one of my like one of my absolute favorite like actors for the longest time, especially like. Uh, like his stupid, stupid small role in Footloose, but Chris Penn in Footloose was absolutely just a blast to watch. I love Chris Penn. Rest in peace, Chris Penn. Yeah, I also liked him in uh, Best of the Best as the cowboy karate guy. Oh my god, with the cutoff, like the cutoff, like gi. Yeah, he was. I so loved funny. it. Eric Roberts. I love that. Was like a movie that would come on Cinemax all the time, like before it went to like uh, Red Shoe Diaries and like Russian <laughs> politics. Um, I love Best of the Best. I'm not going to lie and pretend that I wasn't. Uh, and just to cap this one off, this movie was considered the second greatest directorial debut behind Citizen Kane. But that doesn't tell you about Quentin. I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't either because this movie is absolutely perfection. But uh, let's move on to our next one. Three days later, your granddad was dead, but Wanaki kept his word. After the war was over, he paid a visit to your grandmother, delivering to your infant father his dad's gold watch. This watch. 1994's Pulp Fiction. Now, this movie stars Samuel L. Jackson, John Travolta, Uma Thurman, Harvey Keitel, Tim Roth, and Amanda Plummer. Uh, this movie had a budget of $8.5 million and made a whopping $213.9 million at the box office. Uh, I could start off with this one. That whole monologue with Christopher Walken is totally awesome about the watch. I highly recommend if you haven't heard it. First of all, if you haven't seen this movie, please go out and see it. But if you've seen it, just watch it on YouTube. The whole monologue is hilarious about the watch being held under his father's ass. And that's why Bruce Willis's character is so obsessed with it because his dad went through so much to bring it to him. Uh, This movie uh, won Quentin his first Oscar for a screenplay and writing. And it's about revivals in this movie. John Travolta's career was completely revived from this movie. And I found it interesting that Quentin Tarantino actually offered him the role in this movie or uh, from Dust Till Dawn. And he took this movie, which was smart. Another thing is Mickey Rourke was actually offered to be Bruce Willis's character of Butch. And he turned it down and he considers it to be one of the biggest regrets of his career. And it's an ongoing thing because there are some other roles in Quentin movies that Mickey work turned down. Uh, so tell me about Pulp Fiction. So everyone that knows me knows that my favorite movie is The Karate Kid. My second favorite movie of all time is Pulp Fiction. Um, I love Pulp Fiction. I, when this movie came out, VHS was around. Uh, DVDs weren't a thing. I worked my ass off to save up enough money to spend the 50 bucks that this VHS tape cost because you couldn't just go and buy VHS tapes like you could with DVDs and Blu-rays. And I watched it every day until the tape broke. This is absolutely 
one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. Like, and it, it, it's accidentally funny. Like, it knows it's being um, ironic, but like from Eric Stoltz's character to Christopher Walken's dialogue to everyone knows who the Gimp is, um, the dialogue, the music, the like the way this movie was shot. I love it. And once again, my favorite, one of my favorite characters in this movie, so stupid, but um, Steve Buscemi as Buddy Holly, the waiter um, at Jack Rabbit Slims. I didn't realize it till I went back and watched it a million times that that was Steve Buscemi. But now when that, once I realized it, I was like, okay, I get it. This guy is fantastic. Um, I really yeah. don't know what else I can say about this movie, but like, you know, son of a preacher man. And, um, you know, Chuck Berry while they're doing the the dance competition, it, it's absolutely a brilliant movie. I love it. I watch it once or twice a year, just to re, just to like kind of capture that feeling that I had the first time I saw it. Yeah, it's totally it's iconic. I mean, it's been parodied in The Simpsons and parodied in skits. To I mean, it's iconic. Again, you have the uh, the debates of what was in the actual briefcase. You know. The, the, this that aura was in there you know the people say it was Marcel's Marcel soul. soul um you know i found a lot of interesting things just you know doing the the deep dive of research daniel day lewis really wanted to be vincent vega really and quentin turned him down in favor of john travolta now i love john travolta in this movie but i caught myself thinking like how would daniel day lewis do as vincent vega in this movie i don't know maybe i'm was, an oil man <laughs> Yeah, uh, James Gandolfini actually was offered the role of um, Vincent Vega, and he turned it down and actually recommended John Travolta. Well, he worked with uh, he worked with Quentin before on um, True Romance. Romance yeah, um, and why do I man? I, I could be way off on this one, but didn't Quentin write stuff for what was it, Crimson Tide? I'm not too sure. Uh, I don't know if he did a script rewrite for Qu Crimson Tide. I don't know. I could be wrong, but like I know that that Quentin wrote True Romance, and they worked together on that. Um, which we could do a whole movie that he just wrote, you know, screenplays or treatments for. Um, yeah, I, but I can't. I, I, you know what? You know how I feel about The Sopranos. Um, and you know mm -hmm. how I feel about James Gandolfini. I can't see anybody else as Vincent Vega. Other than John Travolta, yeah, but I would still like to see. <laughs> oh, abs absolutely! But like, I like Travolta went on and he did a bunch of fantastic movies after this too. Yeah, this actually, like I said, this movie revived his career, and yeah. that's kind of like a ongoing theme with Quentin movies as we go along. Like he revived yep. people's careers, which I think is actually kind of cool. Um, another thing that I thought was hilarious is doing research is that uh, Courtney Love for years claim that um Quentin originally wanted her and Kurt Cobain to play Lance and Jody or Honey Bear and um Honey Bunny and whatnot. Honey Bunny. I could yeah. I mean I could see that, but people like to ride Quentin's coattails. Like for you know last week or yeah. two weeks ago, there were rumors that Kanye was the inspiration. Kanye came up with the Django screenplay. Yeah. Quentin I, went on Jimmy Kimmel and flat out he's like, no, that didn't happen. This is what happened. Yeah. Well Quentin came out and said uh 
<laughs> he denies ever meeting Kurt Cobain, much less offering him a part. So, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I, I just think that's funny that she tried to attach her coattails to him. But like, if you just look through the, you know, the people who were all, like in thought of for roles, you know, Butch again, Matt Dillon, Matt Dillon keeps coming up, Sean Penn, you know, Nicholas Cage was offered, was thinking about for Butch, Johnny Depp, which I don't think could have worked, but just like, it's a who's who of who he thought about for these roles. And well, I mean, like, the cast is like, perfect though. The cast is perfect. Like looking on the poster, it says John Travolta, Samuel L. Jackson, Uma Thurman, Harvey Keitel. Oh, and like, we didn't even, like we talked about all the, all the storylines for Pulp Fiction and we haven't talked about The Wolf, right? Like Harvey Keitel, Harvey Keitel as The Wolf is probably like, I don't even, I don't even, I'm sorry, I can't even say that it's one of the best storylines in the movie because they're all fantastic. But I think that storyline is underappreciated in this movie with the wolf. Yeah, it's totally and it's a nice little homage to uh, you know, the previous movie, Reservoir Dogs, to have him appear. Even though it's a different character, it's just nice to have, you know, a character that basically got him his big break. A guy got him his big break doing a little cameo. Um and this is also um, Samuel L. Jackson's only Oscar nominated role for Jules. But uh, let's move on to our next one. Uh, 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 here we go. AK-47, the very best there is. When you absolutely, positively got to kill every motherfucker in the room, except no substitutes. 1997's Jackie Brown, starring Pam Greer, Samuel Jackson, Robert Forrester, Robert De Niro, Bridget Fonda, and Michael Keaton. Uh, this movie had a box office of seventy-four million on a budget of twelve million. Um, Swell, tell me about Jackie Brown. So I love Jackie Brown. I think the problem with Jackie Brown is that it came out directly after Pulp Fiction. I think that's the only problem that this movie had is that it followed up Pulp Fiction. Um, I also think that it's correct me if I'm wrong here, but this is the only Quentin Tarantino movie that is based on a screen or based on a story from someone else. It was based on Rum Punch. By Elmore Leonard, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, uh, this is uh, based off a book, and it, it was um, not originally written by him. But he did change some uh, some uh, things about the characters, like Jackie's last name in Rum Punch was Burke, and he changed it to Jackie Brown to honor Pam Greer, who was known as Foxy Brown. Foxy Brown. Well, I I don't know if you remember the trailer or the previews for it, but it was just Pam Greer looking at the camera, and it was Pam Greer is. Jackie Brown, and they did it over and over again. But this cast is also fantastic. And um, Chris Tucker, Chris Tucker is in this movie, and he yeah. plays like he plays a junkie. Yeah, pre uh, pre dead presidents, pre dead presidents. Um, uh, Robert De Niro is hilarious. Uh, Bridget, is it Bridget Fonda? Yes, Bridget Fonda. I, uh, um, the bail bondsman. I think. I think. I think this is a fantastic movie. I think its only problem was is that it came out directly after Pulp Fiction, and Pulp Fiction won Oscars. Ooh, actually, this is after Dead Presidents. But yeah, you know, it, it totally is. I think it's an underrated story, um, story. This is one of the few movies that didn't actually get nominated for any Oscars, or I mean, didn't win any Oscars, because uh, usually his movies either win something, whether it be editing, sound editing, or something. And this movie didn't win. He actually said um, this movie was actually his first professional experience as a director. It made it feel like it. Uh, again, he revived the career of Pam Greer. You know, she was known for the 70s and he was a big fan of hers. The, uh, there was a story of her coming in for the audition 
into his personal, I think it was at his office. And there was a bunch of Foxy Brown, Pam Greer posters up. And she's like, did you bring these in here for, because I was coming here? And he's like, no, I was actually thinking about taking them down because you were coming here. <laughs> so uh, they're actually, he's a big fan of her. And that's one thing about Quentin Tarantino. He likes to, you know, look back on the history of films that inspired him and he liked, and he likes to incorporate them in his features, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah, he was he was absolutely a massive fan of what they refer to as black exploitation movies, mm-hmm. um, and he this was definitely like an homage to those with the casting of Pam Greer, um, Samuel Jackson. This movie with the little braided goatee was creepy as shit. Yeah, that was his actually his idea for the movie. Yeah. Reading that was that funny. I'm like, that was always like, why did they make him have that? And it was actually his idea, which I mean, it stands out from the movie, so it was a great choice. This also was the first introduction um, where, and everyone that knows Quentin Tarantino and loves Quentin Tarantino knows that Quentin Tarantino has a weird foot fetish. Yes. Um, and Bridget Fonda's toes are featured prominently in a scene when they're watching TV and Robert De Niro, who just got out of prison, is staring at her feet. <laughs> yeah. And if you, um, I mean, it's kind of hinted in... Uh... Pulp Fiction because to- Tony Rockahala when Tony, he throws him, Tony Rocky Horror yeah when he throws him off the uh, the window is because supposedly he gave Uma Thurman's character a foot massage. Um, but uh, if you look up Quentin Tarantino trademarks on IMDb, it says uh, feet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm cracking up thinking about Jules and Vincent's dialogue in the hallway yeah. talking about foot massages like. Eating a bitch out and warm up in a bitch's feet ain't exactly the same thing. It ain't the same fucking league. It ain't even the same fucking sport. Yeah, that uh, that the dialogue in that movie is so great. But um, yeah, this is the uh, you see the Quentin Tarantino uh, foot uh, fetish start to come through, and especially in our next twofer that we're going to go into, which is also the title of this podcast. Yes, sir. Clark Kent is how Superman views us. And what are the characteristics of Clark Kent? He's weak. He's unsure of himself. He's a coward. Clark Kent is Superman's critique on the whole human race. Kill Bill Volume 1 and Kill Bill Volume 2. Movie star Uma Thurman, Lucy Liu, David Carradine, Julie Dreyfus, Michael Parks, Daryl Hannah, Michael Madsen, and Sonny Chiba. Uh, both movies grossed over $330 million combined with a $60 million budget. They both had a $30 million budget apiece. I think uh, Kill Bill 2 grossed 158 and Kill Bill 1 uh, grossed, I think, a little bit over that, 172 I believe. Um, these movies are pretty much a homage to the old school kung fu movies. Uma Thurman's character in the first one wears the uh, Bruce Lee get-up and more of a, for a biker suit. Uh, female wise uh, great visuals the thing that sticks out to me about this the first one especially is the scene where she fights in the uh, Japanese dojo the Japanese uh, restaurant it turns to black and white and all the blood splat across the screen that's actually a very cool visual um, they're both very very entertaining what about you Swell? yeah the thing, thing that I remember the most about these movies and these are probably two of the least like rewatch movies they're still fantastic and I'm not this is not like a a mark on that but the thing that I remember the most is how he mixed um medias in this movie and there's a whole like section of this movie that was filmed anime style 
um, when Lucy Liu's character is introduced and they're talking about her oh, backstory. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think that the the story is is fantastic. I think the the scene that I remember the most besides the the anime was um, uh, Uma Thurman and Daryl Hannah's fight in the trailer. She pulls out her eye. She pulls out her eye, and then there's the snake. Um, and then Vivica A. Fox, like her, like just showing up at Vivica A. Fox's house's house. Um, I think these movies are like violent and bloody, and I love them. I also love that you can tell that Quentin was a fan of like Sonny Chiba and the Street Fighter movies. Um, obviously, he wrote the true romance script where the, a big portion of it was watching kung fu movies in the theater. Um, and you could tell that he loved those in the, in this, and this was an homage to those. Um, and he goes in these weird, like, like segments, right? Like kill bill was an homage to, uh, or uh, Jackie Brown was an homage to, you know, the black exploitation movies that he grew up loving. And the kill bill movies were an homage to the Kung Fu movies that he loved. And then you get into his Western phase and then you get into his Hollywood phase as a teenager. Um, and who knows what's next, but I think this is a perfect, like, love story for those uh kung fu and karate flicks that he grew up loving great movie fantastic posters definitely definitely uh just great characters uh i love the you know the visuals are the visuals just sell me on this movie a lot just the uh like the black and white i still can't get out over that you know the part where she's driving the car down the uh just to go to bill you know the whole dialogue even the dialogue the superman dialogue which is so like an interesting take on certain things about how superman is basically makes fun of mocks humanity or his you know it's and the fact that he cast david carradine yeah. you know the, the guy that played in kung fu yeah like not just played in kung fu but stole that role from bruce lee yes which <laughs> oh man bruce lee but you know it, it's a it's a I love the movie. He gives a, a homage to Bruce Lee with the uh, Pi Mays three, uh, you know, the Death Touch punch, three inch punch. He uh, gives you know homage to a bunch of like, like he said, kung fu movies that he grew up with. I found it interesting that Robert Rodriguez for Kill Bill Two was paid a dollar to score some of the movie, and in return, uh, Quentin Tarantino was paid a dollar to uh, direct some of uh, Sin City, which I thought was kind of cool. And one of the only reasons that, like, um, they must have had to done that for technicality purposes because Frank Miller co-directed that movie too. Mm-hmm. But it's they probably just and they yeah. could do that for the Directors Guild. Yeah, so you had to get paid for it. And I thought it was kind of cool that that happened. No, and yeah. I love that those guys collaborate all the time, which will probably take us into our next movie. Yes, sir. Let's uh, let's move into that one. Wow, that's fucking scary. Yeah, well, I wanted it to be impressive. Scary tends to impress. Is it safe? No, it's better than safe. It's death proof. Death proof, 2007, directed by Quentin Tarantino and written by him, starring Kurt Russell, Rosario Dawson, and Zoe Bell. Uh, this movie had a budget of 30 million and made 31.1 at the box office. So, well, tell me about Death Proof. Um. I think Kurt Russell is fantastic in Death Proof. There's a scene in this movie. You know, stop, jump in when I'm wrong here or whatever. Um, but there's a jukebox scene at the bar with she wore a red bandana. Yeah, I believe so. And I think it's absolutely perfect and super well done. 
um you know it was a grindhouse movie and this was um you know an homage to that like this was this was a, a movie that rob zombie would have made if he could make a movie like this these are the movies that quentin grew up loving um and there's there's a scene in pulp fiction where um butch comes back from the fight that he just threw and he takes a shower and goes to bed he wakes up to um what's her name what's his girlfriend's name oh uh I can't think of a top. But he wakes up and she's watching this grindhouse motorcycle movie. And he's like, can you turn that off? And all you see is like, he loves, he loved his eras of movies. And you could tell what he was in love with when he was writing these movies. And this was that era. I think death proof is underrated. More people should watch it. I think it um, gets swept under the rug because it was labeled a horror movie. Yes. Uh, Her name was Trudy. I think Trudy. Trudy. And I don't think this is a horror movie. No, um, this is a Grindhouse movie completely, and this is what part of the uh, double feature they had for Planet Terror. Uh, Planet Terror was Robert Rodriguez's, and and the, I remember these were coming out with the uh, like the last few, you know, years of the drive-in. They were pushing that for as a release to go see it, which I thought was kind of cool because this is, totally is a drive-in movie. Well, and if you own the movie on Blu-ray or digital. Like the movie begins with trailers for like fake movies before the actual death proof starts. Like the trailers are fake movies that Quentin made or he had guests make, I think, um, to begin the movie. And it's super cool. And you can't like Kurt Russell is fantastic. Oh, definitely, dude. I, I, I'm a big Kurt Russell, Mark. Uh, well, I, we, we know you are. <laughs> so when he was in here, I was already excited. Um, yeah, I, I does that really uh you, you pretty much cover most of it for this movie. I think it's it's totally underrated. I, I love the aspect of it. It's and the, fi- the funny part about this movie is that it came out of a drunken conversation between Quentin Tarantino and Sean Penn uh years before. Uh, they were they were drinking and they were talking about the stuntmen in um movies and basically talking about the cars they can build and whatnot. And Sean Penn told Quentin Tarantino for 10 or 15 K a stuntman can make your car death proof. And that term stuck with him to where he actually wrote a script about it, which I think is pretty crazy. I think, I think it's super cool. I think like some of these movies, like this movie in particular, I need to go back and rewatch. Yeah. I, I doing research for this. I totally do need to rewatch it. Um, but going back to what I said about Mickey Rourke, Mickey Rourke actually turned down the role for bill and kill bill. And he turned down the role for stuntman Mike in this movie. <laughs> And then, like, he doesn't show up again until, like, Sin City. He mm-hmm. he finally accepts a Robert Rodriguez, Quentin Tarantino project, and it's Marv in Sin City. And then, all of a sudden, he's in The Wrestler, and he's in Iron Man 2, and his career is revived. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Uh, he's had a very interesting career. Maybe uh, sometime in the future we can do one on him, because he had a pretty interesting career. And like, life, yeah. Yeah. Interesting cat, like totally weird, but interesting cat. But uh, let's move on to our next one. You sure that's him? Yeah. Positive? I don't know. You don't know if you're positive? I don't know what positive means. It means you're sure? Yes. Yes what? Yes, I'm sure that's Ellis Brutal. We skipped a little ahead, but we're going to go to Django Unchained 2012. Starring Jamie Foxx, Christopher, Christoph Waltz, and Leonardo DiCaprio. This movie had a budget of $100 million and made 
5.4 at the box office. So well, tell me about Django Unchained. Man, I just rewatched Django this week to prepare because I've only seen it like two or three times. Um, and I I love the opening. I love Christoph Waltz. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio is an absolute just fucking scumbag in this movie. And I hate him. But Jamie Foxx is a badass. Um, the fact that like he's a slave and he's freed and he's looking for his wife after they ca- capture all these bounties and Christoph frees him um, and they go to, to get his wife. And uh, Samuel Jackson um, is another just absolute dirt ball in this movie. And I, um, I don't know where I would put it in the, like the, the rankings of Tarantino movies, but it's good. It's really good. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a kind of it's a very touchy subject and what he goes with here. I know he, but you know, I found it interesting that he actually had writ, wrote this role in particular for Django for Will Smith. Your boy Will Smith. And do you know why he turned this down? Because he didn't want to say the N-word? No. He turned this is how another reason why I don't like Will Smith. He turned this role down because he didn't feel like Django was the lead. Yeah, so this is the frustrating part to me where I agree with you on Will Smith. Will Smith refuses to do a movie where he is not a good guy. Yeah, and he wants this movie to be like a love story. And you have to step out of your comfort role or your comfort zone to be considered a top-tier actor. Robert De Niro is not always a good guy. You know, Al Pacino is not always a good guy. and I, I don't think that Will Smith will ever be considered one of those upper echelon actors till he steps out. And even his character in Suicide Squad, like the first Suicide Squad, they had to give him a redemption story. He was doing this for his son. And that first Suicide Squad movie was ass cheeks. His daughter. It was for his daughter. It was for his daughter. It was ass cheeks. Like, I, 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 don't, I don't love Will Smith um, as much as I used to knowing some of the things I know. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, he just, I don't know. I'm not a big fan of Will Smith, as you know. I know. I, I think, uh, yeah, I, the fact that he turned it down kind of turned me off from it. Uh, this movie actually won Quentin his uh, second Oscar uh, for screenplay, and it won Christoph Waltz for his um, his uh Rolling as well, which actually moves us into the movie that actually skipped over. Or OSS would be my guess. Ooh, that's a bingo. (laughs) Is that the way you say it? That's a bingo. You just say bingo. Bingo! How fun! (laughs) Inglorious Bastards. Made in 2009, which stars Brad Pitt, Christoph Waltz, Michael Fassbender, Ellie Roth, and Diane Kruger. Uh, the movie had a budget of $70 million and a box office of $321.5 million. Uh, tell me about Inglorious Bastards. Inglorious Bastards is absolute perfection. I think um, the story, like the opening scene of this movie where um, Christoph Waltz goes to. Um, the French countryside to find um, Shoshana and her family that are hidden in the floorboards 
and he goes back and forth between speaking English and speaking French. Um, he's a dirtball. He is an absolute scumbag. He's a Nazi, right? And we fucking hate Nazis. Um, Brad Pitt is fantastic as this dude from Tennessee who's in charge of this unit that goes out and hunts Nazis or Nazis, as he refers to them. Um, the, the cast of the Bastards is, is awesome. Um, Eli Roth is the Bear Jew. You have Brad Pitt. You have BJ Novak. You have, um, oh, shit. What's his name from Freaks and Geeks? Um, oh, uh, I can't think you of You know who I'm talking about, right? Yes, I do. I can picture his face right now. Um, I, I it, Like, just the Bastards oh, are fantastic. And then you have, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, he, Daniel Brawl. Daniel, Daniel Brawl. Yeah. Like the, the the bastards are fantastic. Um, Shoshana, like as she go grows up and owns the movie theater, Return of the Big Face, um, I think is the segment of the film that that's called. Um, I just I love this movie. It's so well done. It's so well paced. It's so beautifully shot. The acting is fantastic. The stupid little things where like you, when you when you ask for three, you held up your fingers like this. A German will hold them up like this. Like it's stupid little fucking things like that that makes this movie absolutely perfect. Yeah, it's. I mean, we could talk about Christoph Waltz. I think he steals this movie in terms yeah. of. Yeah. And it's funny that Quentin Tarantino actually was not going to make this movie because he couldn't find anybody could to do Hans Group. Um, Hans Landa, I call the Hans Group. <laughs> Hans Landa, um, but he couldn't find anybody to actually that met his criteria or like until he met Christoph Waltz and. Perfect. The guy's a total scumbag in the movie. Perfectly done. The dialogue in here is another is again very well done. The opening scene when you see Hans Landa and how he tricks the, the family, the girl is yeah. It shows what's like he said, total scumbag. Well, and then like how you you know he's a dirtball at the end of that opening scene when she escapes those floorboards and she's running through the countryside and he goes to shoot, but she's a little too far out of range, and he just goes. Au revoir, Shoshana. And he knows. Like, there's something in him that knows that, like, maybe he'll run into her again or he'll eventually get her. And in reality, what happens is Shoshana owns this theater and she knows that she fucking hates Nazis, which you should if you're, like, <laughs> there's no Nazi sympathy here at all. She burns down the theater with all these fucking prominent Nazis in it and they all burn to death. And they get their face shot in by the two bastards that are stuck in the theater. Brilliant movie. I, I I can't say enough about how fantastic this movie is. Yes, it's it's excellent. And you know, to go back to our one of our previous episodes, the Adam Sandler episode, Adam Sandler was offered the role of Donnie, uh, the Bear Jew, and he turned it down to do his role in Funny People. So which I mean, Funny People is a good movie, but it's not Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> no, I completely like Funny People was good, and we liked Funny People, but I can't imagine what this movie would have been like with Adam Sandler. I think it would have been nuts. But Eli Roth is—he's um, nuts. Like he's crazy. Totally. Uh, I I love the the scene when they bring him and they introduce his character, and they're oh, like, you like oh. you hear the bat beating yeah. against the thing, and then he beats the shit out of this Nazi skull, and he comes in with this thick. Boston accent. He's like Teddy fucking Williams knocks it out of the ballpark. Yeah, that would have been out. <laughs> yeah, just the just the the scene where he's beating the guy and the other Nazis looking on. 
and you can see how like it's like it's, it's a pretty intense scene. He's getting totally scared, like he's cringing, and it make eventually makes him talk. But just um, that whole like that was just perfectly done. The introduction of him is just and Aldo yeah. Rain. The, there's a scene at the end of the movie where Aldo is negotiating the the surrender of Hans Landa, and um, Hans Landa's like he he's gonna carve a swastika into Hans's forehead, and Hans like. You'll be hung. You'll be executed for this. He's like, nah, I'll be chewed out. I can handle being chewed out. <laughs> yeah, it's uh This is Brad Pitt's this is Brad Pitt's finest work to me. This movie and Kill Bills are my father in law's favorite movies. He really okay. Yeah, he just like um he quotes Brad Pitt's character, Hunt Nazis. And whenever we, we see it on TV, he like he quotes it. Fitness um, is good. Yeah, it's it's totally and it's totally out there too. Like you know they kill Hitler in the theater. Yeah, like that. It's just like total fancy. And, but and, well, they're watching this German Nazi propaganda movie that they made. What was it called? The Spirit of Germany or something like yeah, that. Yeah, something. And it's like the, the building's burning down, and he's just like lighting them up. Like I mean, they light them up. Like they light them up, and they shoot their faces off. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty intense. Um, but definitely, uh, definitely one of his his good ones. Absolutely. Let's move on to our next one. Like I said, friend, you got me at a bit of a disadvantage. Keeping you at a disadvantage is an advantage I intend to keep. The Hateful Eight, made in 2015, starring Samuel L. Jackson, Kurt Russell, and Jennifer Jason Lee. Uh, this movie had a budget of $62 million and a box office of $156 million. Uh, Swole, tell me about The Hateful Eight. So once again, I rewatched Hateful Eight this week. Hateful Eight is, um, and I don't want to simplify it, but it's Reservoir Dogs, but set as a Western. It takes place all in one room. Like the beginning of the movie, like they're trying to get to this this cabin. It, the whole movie takes place in one room. Um, it's a cabin in the middle of the woods, um, and these characters' stories intertwine. The cast is fantastic. You have Kurt Russell. You have Samuel L. Jackson. You have Jennifer Jason Lee. You have um, Channing Tatum, who's a surprise. You don't know that till the end. Um, who else do you have? You have uh, uh, Tim uh, Roth. Michael Madsen's in the movie. Michael uh, Madsen. Goggins, uh, Walter Goggins. I think it's yeah. Um, was, uh, no, I don't think he was. Bruce Dern. Bruce Dern as the old Civil War captain. Um, like, just a fantastic cast. And it's a whodunit. It's like a whodunit and who who did this and who's responsible for it. And then as it unfolds, it's crazier and crazier. Um, Samuel Jackson's got this letter from Abraham Lincoln that we don't know. Is it real or is it fake? Um, it's, it's just a really, really well done movie. Really, really well shot. Absolutely beautiful flick. The score is good. It reminds you of the um, what's his name? Who did the westerns? Who did the spaghetti? Well, westerns? actually, the, the person who did the spaghetti westerns scored this movie. Uh, did he? Uh, yes. And, um, and Re- Enrico, I'll tell you his name. Morichoni. How do you say it? Yeah. I don't know how you say it. You're close. Uh, he won an Oscar for this movie. Uh, Anino Morocani. Morocani. Yeah, like, like it, it's just a great movie, and the story is the story keeps you captivated. You want to find out what happens next, who did it, and who's responsible for it. Yeah, and that's a thing with Quentin's movies. Is uh, the only movie that was straight and linear was actually Death Proof. 
Yep, that was the only one that was linear storytelling. Now, this and the movie that he did prior to this. Yeah, it was totally just uh, Death Proof was the only one that was linear. Uh, um, it went Django and it went Hateful Eight, right? Um, Hateful Eight was the movie. Uh, the movie right before Hateful Eight was Django, right? Because I know we went a little bit out of order. Yes, yes. The uh, Django was the movie before Hateful Eight. So I will say this. The, the previous two Quentin Tarantino movies, Hateful Eight and Django, um, they were very, very liberal with the N-word. Um, and some of it is hard to watch as, you know, someone it that totally is like some it's, it's hard to hear. Right. Um, and I know Quentin was writing for the time and it was a movie about slaves. And that's just the way it was during the civil war and this Western. Um, but like the excessive use of the N-word is, is hard to hear. Um, and that that's a word that never will be um, desensitized to me. Definitely. Uh, and it's the only thing that I don't love about these two movies is the use of that word. And I know what they're doing and I know why they're doing it. Um, but it's, it's, it's still hard to hear. It's still hard to hear. I'm just not a fan of it. Like I, I understand why he did it for Django and, but it, I mean, it, he has a support of like uh, Samuel Jackson, who's thrown full support behind him. But I just think I, it's uneasy. Like these two movies, they're good movies, like Django, and I just don't really rewatch them that much because it's just they're excessive. Like that, yeah. the use of that word is excessive. Yeah, it's extremely excessive. But um, but I, the movie, I think the movie's beautiful, and like it's it's a good watch. Definitely, and it's, it's got some comedy in it too. With uh with um samuel jackson and walter goggins it's, well, you know with the whole abraham lincoln's yeah and <laughs> like samuel getting shot in the balls from the floorboards below mm-hmm. like and that leads to the whole final scene it's just it's nuts like it's it's nuts and it's bloody too definitely bloody and it has jennifer jason lee in it who uh is from uh aloha mr hands for film <laughs> backdraft <laughs> fast times man can't stop thinking about jackson brown when you look at her but uh, I I love I'm and I love Fast Times. Fast Times is is like the perfect '80s movies in my opinion. Totally, totally. Uh, we that could be another podcast coming, going soon down. Yeah, um, but uh, let's move on to our final one. And what's got you so upset, man? Well, coming face to face with the failures that is your career ain't worth crying about. Then I don't know what the fuck is. All right, that guy in there turned you down. Once they help me get into Italian movies. Well, then what's the problem? I gotta do fucking Italian goddamn movies. That's a fucking problem. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, released in 2019, uh, starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, and Margaret Robbie. Um, budget of $90 million, and it made a box office of $374 million. This movie actually earned Brad Pitt its first Oscar. Uh, the film, I think, is uh, it's a good film. It's very trippy. Um, one thing I did not like about this movie, and uh, I don't know if you're gonna agree with me as well, was a portrayal of Bruce Lee. And the re- the reason is not towards much that I think, you know, everybody can take their liberties and whatnot. But you you paid such great tribute to him and Kill Bill, and then you and then made, you him, made a, him out to be a pussy, complete asshole, like a complete asshole in this movie. And yeah. then, like one thing I don't like about you know when Quentin came out about this, like Bruce Lee's daughter actually came forward and said, you know. So not who my father was, and Quentin actually fought her publicly. And I'm like, you're kind of trying to sell, sell somebody how their dad was, right? Like, uh, no, I get it. And when Shannon came out and said those things, like, um, it, the the portrayal of Bruce Lee is definitely is definitely weird. 
like to have Rick. I think I think Brad Pitt's name was Rick, right? Yeah, Booth. Like he he basically beats the shit out of Bruce Lee. Like he throws him into the car door and he makes Bruce Lee out to like to be like this egotistical jerky dude. And that's not what I and I'm not like the biggest Bruce Lee fan like his movies. Like not saying that I don't like them. I'm just I've never been like, you know, one to like, oh yeah. Um But I'll tell you what I was a big fan of, Dragon the Bruce Lee story. Um mm-hmm. and it, he never seemed like that kind of dude. Like well, I mean him. the thing is uh his name's Cliff in the movie Cliff Booth. Uh he's based off Judo Jean LaBelle, you know, RIP who passed this year. Yeah. That's who he's based off and you know, they, they did have a sparring match, but like from what stories from what I read and watched previously and, you know, just doing research on this, Judo Jean LaBelle actually said they never really fought. It was just more of him showing him Judo and Bruce Lee showing him Jaekwondo and they showed each other some stuff. But the, the fact that he said, you know, he like Tarantino came out and said that Bruce Lee like didn't care about injuring, um, injuring, you know, stuntmen, which was again proven wrong because people have come out and said, you know, no, that's not true. Jackie Chan was a stuntman in, in many of his movies and he accidentally hit Jackie Chan too hard and like totally broke character, went up to him and was like, oh my God, are you okay? And like, from what I was reading, a lot of people say he actually took care of his stuntmen because he realized, you know, a lot, especially in martial art films, a lot of them were aged and a lot of them couldn't get work besides doing stunts like this. So he wanted to make sure they're okay. You know, they were making him look good. It's just it's just a dicey area. I think the movie's very good. Just that kind of like the whole portrayal of Bruce Lee kind of it didn't ruin it for me, but it was kind of like uh, and then when he started arguing about like oh no it's he's you know he's he claimed he was gonna fight Muhammad Ali when Bruce Lee actually himself said Muhammad Ali would kill him. <laughs> so I, it definitely didn't ruin it for me. I I love this movie. I think it was fantastic. Um, if you stick around for the end credits, there's a, a little homage or nod to um, Adam West and Batman which mm-hmm. I think is really cool, uh, especially because I love Batman. Um, but uh, tying this in with the uh, the Charles Manson murders and um, in the Hollywood Hills at the time and Margot Robbie's character as uh, Sharon Tate, I just thought was really, really well done. There's a couple scenes um, that were absolutely, I was like, what the hell is going to happen next? Um, the The compound went, when they go, when when Cliff goes to the, the the creepy compound, yeah, to go. I thought um, that was really really well done. Um, well, I mean, the movie's well done. the The ending is just like this is another totally fancy ending, just like yeah. uh, Glorious Bastards, where he actually kills the flamethrower. <laughs> yeah, then they forgot a fucking flamethrower. <laughs> What's going on? Like it's so random. Like it is, uh, but the casting, I think, once again was 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 brilliant. Um, I, was this is the first time that he worked? No, this is not the first time. I'm sorry, I'm an idiot. This uh, is his first Oscar for Brad Pitt. He won, was, yeah. Um, and Margot Robbie, I think, is is underrated as an actress. She can she can act, yeah. Um, but then she was reunited with Leo from Wolf of Wall Street. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I, I like this movie a lot. It's one of my favorite Tarantino flicks. Yeah, I it's a very good movie. Just I get to, yeah. I get the Bruce Lee thing though. Like I get it. Like I'm not like like arguing with you but i get no 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 no, no, no. I, I i but i don't want to take it away from like the overall film because the film's very good it's just that's just for me because like i was like uh yeah, but maybe it, quentin maybe quentin was having a bad week or whatever who knows it, it's quit it's because quentin has is a genius in terms of iq and you know they're stubborn <laughs> oh he he absolutely is and he did this art he did this interview on kimmel a couple weeks ago where he's promoting a new book and he has a new book out where he writes about 
you know, like his experiences with cinema and I, I, I'm hoping that it's a Christmas gift. <laughs> um, but uh, you could tell, like, like I said, you could tell what movies he was watching when he wrote screenplays. Like he went through his Western phase. He went through his, you know, his World War II movies. Um, he went through his, you know, his pulp phase. And he's just like, he's just a brilliant writer. I love him. I really hope that like he continues to make movies. I know they're saying his next movie will be his last. And I know he said that before because he feel, feels film writers only have like 10 good movies in them. But I hope that he continues to write movies and that like this and the next one aren't his final flick. Um, yeah, the rumor around going around is saying that he might do cap it off with Kill Bill 3 because he just wanted the, the characters to age naturally. I don't know how true that is. I mean, it has been announced that there will be one. I don't know if he's going to do it. Well, and there's, you know, to quote like one of my favorite TV shows, Entourage, like no one knows what Quentin's going to do till he decides to to do it. Um, I saw on Kimmel that he lives half of the year in Israel and the mm-hmm. other half of the year he lives in Los Angeles. So like he could be hold hold up in a tiny one bedroom apartment, like somewhere on Hollywood Boulevard, like coped out of his mind, writing his next script. Like we don't know. And I, I think uh like you said, if he doesn't direct anymore, like script writing, at least contributing, he can he can help yeah. out. Cause I mean he like he his we say, you know, we talked about Django and about the hateful eight with the with the new use of the N-word there. But in terms of his other movies, like the flow of the dialogue is like beautifully done like it keeps the viewer engaged like just to eat, like and none of his movies are linear which besides no. which is pretty hard for somebody to have all his movies that way i mean i'm like shamalot's a perfect example of somebody whose movies that can be good that are not linear and horrible and quick right. movies are pretty good like if not great and they're not all, all linear. Them, almost all of them are fantastic and only one of them is a linear plot line mm-hmm. which it's crazy. That just takes a lot of talent to do that. And it's amazing that this guy used to work in a video store. <laughs> right. I I think like, I don't know. I I would love to see like there's always been rumors that he was gonna do a Star Trek movie. Um, you know, he wrote a script for Halloween, Halloween six, and he did true romance and he did mm-hmm. um natural born killers. Like that those were all Tarantino scripts and you know, him and um, him and uh, why am I having a brain fart? Rodriguez, Oliver Stone. Him and Oliver Stone did not get along, or they did not agree on the script of Natural Born Killers, and Stone did it. Stone did his own rewrites. Um, but I would love to see like more like him helping out with franchises and making them better because he knows how to tell a story. Yeah. Like I'm almost positive I heard a rumor that he was gonna write a Friday the Thirteenth treatment. I don't know if he, I heard that, but I would, to be honest with you, I would really like to see him write a series for like HBO Max to see if he can do. Like I think just the creativity and the way he tells stories, like he would make an excellent, maybe just a one-off, a one-off season or something. Oh, like Mayor of Easttown? Did you ever watch Mayor of Easttown? Yes, it's very good. That shit was good. <laughs> like i would love for him to have like yeah like a season to like eight hours to tell a story because he knows how to tell a story yeah i would totally like be, I, I mean anything he puts out i'll watch um he's a brilliant mind and you know if it he has one more movie left in him it's kind of crazy that well, we've been through all of them <laughs> and, and if if, it, if he has one more movie we've seen his entire filmography 
And as long as it doesn't suck, there's not a clunker in the bunch. Definitely. And I think all his movies are the ones that I've discussed have all made money. I, will that be yeah. by a million dollars or more? I mean, he has all his movies have been profitable. And like I said, they, they still uh, impact, you know, um, media today. They're parodied all over. Just a brilliant, brilliant, like filmmaker. I, I love him. Yeah. But um, let's go into what's coming soon, Swell. I did we did we even discuss what's coming next, Yump? No, I don't think we did. Um, so you know what? You know what I think we're gonna do is Yumper and I will come up with two or three topics, and we'll post a poll on our Twitter page, Yump and Slow, and we'll let you choose. We'll let you choose what we do next. Yeah, and we'll we'll craft an episode. We'll we'll give you a couple options. We'll throw a poll up there, and you choose you choose what's next. Yeah, uh, usually we come up with our own coming soon, but. Uh, this past month and a half has been pretty busy for me and Swole, and um, we have some ideas, but we want to see what you guys think. We always like to get the uh, our um, you know, followers involved, and usually those episodes tailored towards your guys are usually our best ones. So look out at the Upper and Swole Twitter for that poll and give us a vote. But uh, before we go into Swole's final thought, I'm gonna give my thank yous. Uh, thanks guys for listening. As always, you know, thank you so much for watching. Uh, this episode was a little choppy due to technical difficulties, but I'll make it look good in post. Um, you know, without you guys, you know, we wouldn't be doing this. Everybody I've met through Twitter is awesome. Uh, please, if you can, check out Brian uh, Magnificent Stan's new show. It's getting drafted in here. He's really, really passionate about it. It was a fun show to do yesterday. Uh, it's already out there on Anchor and Apple Podcasts. If you guys can check that out and give it a listen, let us know what you think. And uh, be sure to check us out at the Tank Love Twitter and the tanglove.com. And um, you guys have a good night. And to you, Mr. Swoboda. Once again, let me um, emphasize, yes, thank you so much for your time and listening. We appreciate you every single week, the feedback that we get from the episode. And, you know, we know who's, wa- who's listening and who's watching. Um, if you're listening to this and you tweet out, um, follow Yumper and Svo. And we get to uh, 400 Twitter followers. Yumper and I are going to take five lucky listeners or five lucky viewers to go see the new Christmas movie, Violent Night, with David Harbour some point in the month of December. Um, we, have, we don't have a date and time picked out, but we got to get to 400 followers, and Yumper and I are going to do that. So um, help us out, tweet us out, follow Yumper and Svo. Um, and if you use the hashtag follow Yump and Svo and tag us in it, we will take five lucky viewers or listeners with us to go see that movie on us. Popcorn and drinks are on you, but the movie will be on us. So uh, thank you for listening and have a good night. Till we see you next time. Deuces. Mm-hmm. This is a tasty burger. Thank you for listening to Yumper and Svo at the Show Podcast. A Tan and Glove production. That's it. I'm getting out of here.